You can go ahead and have a seat. So this has been a tough week here in Davis. Um, this past Thursday, we learned about the murder of the Compassion guy who hung out there uh, near Central Park at that uh, bench there. And then this morning, I was awoken with a text and a voicemail from Davis that a second stabbing has happened in Davis. Um, and, and really, I mean, I'm shaken, um, I'm grieved, and I'm scared to be honest. And if we are that here in this room, our community certainly is. And we are for our community here in Davis. We love Davis. And we value human life, and that is why we are grieved. God values each and every person, no matter what race, what, what socioeconomic status, what gender. It, it does not matter. God loves people, values people. And so when we see what has happened in Davis this past week, it grieves God too. And so instead of just passing by this moment, I thought we could pray into it, uh, pray for our community, pray for ourselves, pray for our police department as well who is working these cases. But uh, let's pray together, shall we? Um, God, we do come to you in a spirit of dependence realizing there are so many things that are out of our control. When things like this happen, it reminds us that we are not in control. And reminds us again, kind of shakes us up at the value of people. That you have made them in your image, and they are worth dignity and respect. And God, we want to be the kind of church that treats people that way, no matter what age or stage or where they're from. We want to be a kind of a church and a people who dignify and respects people. And God, even as we say those words, we recognize personally how we have not done that. How we have treated people with, as convenience, as a matter of convenience. How we kind of use people maybe to prop ourselves up. How we've been very aware of how they're receiving us and how what they're thinking of us instead of giving our attention to them. And so God, in the quietness of our heart, we simply confess those ways to you right now. And God, we thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven and that we are freed. We pray that you would continue to change us to be the kind of people who value life. That really we could be salt and a preservative in this community and in this world, but also a light just a, a way, a different way of doing life with other people. And God, we do pray for our community. We pray for our police department. We pray that you give them wisdom. We pray you give them strength. We know that they are probably overtaxed right now, and they are trying to manage our own fears and our own anger and grief over all of this. And so we pray you give them grace, give them wisdom, give them the help that they need to navigate all of this. And God, for our community, we pray that you would bring a spirit of peace here. We pray that you'd bring a spirit of calm back to this community. God, we pray that your goodness would be seen, your favor would be felt, and that good would come out of this. We pray for justice in all of this. And we pray that we as your church would bring glory to you and that we would have joy in Jesus as we do so. And we pray this his name. Amen. Okay.
now that you are here, now that you know that the people around you are valued by God, made in their image, dignified, respected beings and creatures right around you, why don't you stand on up? Why don't you dignify and respect the people around you and say good morning to them this morning? Good morning, everybody. Hi, online family. Everybody say hello to you online church, friend, and family. Hi, mom. You've got to say hello to your mother. You know you get in trouble if you don't greet your mother. Um, I'm Bronwyn Lee. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. Um, I am the, the female pastor on staff. And uh, let me tell you that there is nothing like being the female preacher and being asked to preach on beauty on a Sunday morning to make you feel self-conscious. And as I stood in front of my mirror this morning, putting my, I kid you not, powerful line-reducing concentrate moisturizer on, um, I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) This is ridiculous. I mean, perhaps you notice that uh, my preaching brothers have a fun variety of socks and shirts that they put on rotation, but the scrutiny on appearance and women is a whole next level thing. It's the whole thing. So let me just start today by confessing a lot of awkwardness and self-consciousness about this topic. I joked with uh, Robin this week that this feels like, you know how they do auditions for orchestras behind screens? Like, maybe this would be a topic where we should preach behind a screen, and you could have, like, a shadow puppet sermon. (laughs) Yes? Okay. Um, It is, however, an important topic for us to think through. Because day by day and dollar by dollar, we put a lot of energy as individuals and as a culture into the way that we look. To give you a glimpse, the beauty industry generates over $100 billion annually in, in revenue. That's a lot. That's a lot of zeros, right? That the men's personal care market is projected to hit $276 billion by 2030. Guys like to look good. They do. That skincare alone is projected to generate up to $177 billion by the year after next. That beauty companies just last year spent $7.7 billion on advertising. And it was worth their while because, for example, just in online retail, cosmetic retailers made $17 billion last year. Those are some big numbers. Um, That's a lot of money. And it takes up a lot of time, too. Uh, I looked up various bits of stats on how long we actually spend grooming on any given day. And uh, the average American woman apparently spends 49 minutes a day on grooming with men's numbers really not far below that. Um, Another study estimates that uh, the numbers are closer to three and a half plus hours. Uh, And interestingly in that study, that people who watch more TV or are more on social media spend more time on their appearance. With both, and that's true of both for men and for women. But even if it's not three hours, even if it's just 49 minutes, that is much more time than often we spend with God in any given day or with our loved ones. I am not pointing fingers. I spent more time 
putting mascara and powerful line-reducing concentrate on my face this morning than I did with my children. Um, I don't know if I spent 49 minutes, but I did give time to it. And so did you. You took care on what you look like this morning, except for you online. You are happy in your pajamas. Okay. So we give time and we give money to, um, we give money, right, to this. This $100 billion a year industry works out at about $1,000 a year in hair and beauty products for women. And for men, it's about $500 on average. Um, which for many people is more than we give to kingdom work and to charity. So behind the scenes, even if we don't consciously think a lot about the topic of beauty and attractiveness, we are investing a lot of time and money, individually and as a culture, in being better-looking, better-smelling humans. Um, and so it is worth our pausing, taking one Sunday to just sit and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? This is a chunk of our life. How does our faith inform how we think about it? Now, in the book of Esther, beauty is one of those big themes that's lying beneath the surface. The story thus far, we've only done chapters one and two, but has turned in two crucial places, and both of them have to do with beauty. So in chapter one, we learn that the reason King Xerxes wanted to bring Queen Vashti in for like the final grand finale show and tell in his six-month palace party was to show off her appearance. Esther 1.11 tells us, that he ordered them to bring before him Queen Vashti, bringing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles. Why? Because she was lovely to look at, right? But Vashti, for whatever reason, refused to turn up at the banquet and to be Xerxes' literal trophy wife. Um, and so she was banished with that bizarre, you know, and ironic edict of the king. Fine, right? Says the king, you don't want to be seen by me? You will never see me again. Take that. Okay, bye Vashti. But then in chapter two, we learn, we learn, chapter two, we learn that Xerxes is once again on the look for a new wife, and the one thing on his list of qualities is that she needs to be beautiful. And so Esther 2 tells us that the king's attendants proposed will let a search to be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. And let the king appoint commissioners, talent scouts, for want of a better word, in every province of his realm, to bring all of these beautiful young women into a harem in the citadel of Susa. And as if it wasn't enough to be naturally beautiful, uh, they were to be groomed to maximum beauty before they could appear before the king. So verse 3 goes on. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Definitely more than $1,000 a year and 49 minutes a day is worth for Esther and her friends. And this is the point at which our heroine enters the story because verse 7 tells us that there was a young woman known as Esther who had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And so she too finds herself as a surprise contestant in The Bachelor, Susa edition. But we're not really that far away from ancient Persia in this, are we? We like to see gatherings of beautiful people. And uh, so this story in Esther is as good a place as any for us to pause and try and think biblically about the topic of beauty and ask how being a follower of God um, should affect or impact the way that we think about it and make decisions about the topic of attractiveness. Now, this is a Baptist church, right? You could tell by the name. Um, and we fall under the broad umbrella of Protestant Christians. And Protestants have a long, long history of downplaying and ignoring beauty. 
That is just not something that the Protestant tradition is known for. If you want to know where the Protestant churches in any European city are, they're the ugly square ones, right? Um, Protestants, especially ones living after the Puritans, really haven't given a lot of attention to the topic of beauty. And on top of this, there's a long history in Western thought, which is pretty Gnostic and dualist in its thinking, which is fancy philosophical language, for the fact that we live with a Western worldview that says that the soul and spirit are really the good and true and most important parts of a person, and that the, that the body and flesh are disposable and bad, and that those two things are separate. And so we live in a world where generally we don't talk much about the intrinsic value of the physical world, even if we spend billions of dollars on it. We have like a logical disconnect about those things. And then when we come to church, we've done our best not to think or talk or sing or teach about physical beauty because we don't want to be distracting and we don't want to be idolatrous. Yes? You can see these trends, even if there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, have you ever heard a sermon on beauty before today? Me neither. <laughs> what a surprising Sunday. Aren't you glad you came? Um, but as it turns out, the Bible actually has a huge number of things to say about beauty and beauty in a wide range of things. The Bible lists over a hundred different things as specifically being beautiful, including, here's a quick list, houses, crowns, garments, flocks, ornaments, a person's voice, feet, a city, whitewashed tombs, look that one up, a clay vessel, or specific acts like anointing feet with oil. There are things in nature that are beautiful, like the sunrise is described as being like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, or the lilies of the field which are dressed with such splendor. And then there's a whole bunch of verses in the Bible about interior decorating. Who knew? About how to make living and worship spaces more beautiful. Like entire chapters, chunks of the Old Testament, have details about art and curtains and clothing and serving dishes. Um, especially when it relates to worship, because there's something about the beauty of physical spaces that reflects glory and power, both for God in his temple, and we actually got hints of that in Esther chapter 1, if you remember, with the descriptions of Xerxes' banquet to reflect something of his glory and power. But the vast number of references to beauty in the Bible have to do with human beauty, and that can be describing men or women. So don't tune out, guys. Um, there are over 20 verses referring to beautiful women, but we are told that there are some super attractive guys in the Bible. Okay? We're told in 2 Samuel 14, 25, that Absalom was all that, and everybody near it. We're told in two places in Scripture that Moses was an exceptionally beautiful baby, like an award-winning cute baby that would have been on posters if they did that kind of thing in ancient Egypt. And in fact, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 44... 13, it says flat out that men are beautiful and that those who are crafting idols are trying to capture, and I quote, the beauty of man in a figure. So where does that leave us in thinking about beauty? And this notion really that some things and some people are particularly satisfying or pleasing to look at. I'm not sure how you would define beauty, but that's kind of what I'm going with. The idea that this is just pleasing to look at. Okay. So as we think about this biblically, here are my two big ideas that I want to share with, with you. Are you ready? This is profound. Here's the first thing. Beauty is a thing. And secondly, beauty is a resource. 
There you go. That's your sermon outline in two lines. Beauty is a thing and beauty is a resource. See, you knew your time was being well spent this morning. Let's, let's just unpack that a little bit and ask why it matters. So firstly, I want to say that I think it's important for us to acknowledge that beauty is a thing. It just is. I mean, it's no good for us to say, well, looks don't matter. Um, or to go the Gnostic way of saying, well, the physical world doesn't matter, because obviously it does. Or for us to duck our heads in the sands with Puritans of, of old and say, well, it's only the inner character that matters. Because the fact is that beauty just is a thing. And even if we have a hard time explaining why it's a thing or what the thing is, the fact is it is a thing that people notice. People notice attractiveness. And they respond differently because of it. People notice us, and they treat us accordingly. And we notice other people and how they look, and we treat them accordingly. It's a thing with adults, but it's something researchers have seen in babies. Like babies spend longer looking at faces that are symmetrical. It's part of how we're designed as humans. So it spans the years, and it spans our timeline. Like beauty is a thing now, our $100 billion a year industry speaks to that, but it's been a fact throughout history, with Esther being one prime example of that. I rewatched the, um, the Veggie Tales adaption of Esther this week, you know, because scholarly Bible research. Um, it's called The Girl Who Became Queen, if you want to look for it on YouTube. That was a very delightful half hour of study for me. Um, <laughs> And in this version of the story, Queen Vashti is banished because she refuses to make the king a sandwich at 3 a.m. She says the king can make his own sandwiches. <whistles> Goodbye, Vashti. And then Esther is brought in because she wins a talent competition with her singing. Now, those things are funny, but they both cover up that the real thing that Vashti and Esther were prized for was not their song singing or their sandwich making skills, but the fact that they looked pretty when they smiled. That's the truth of the story. Um, being beautiful or not being beautiful changes how you navigate the world and how people treat you. Esther wouldn't have had the opportunities that she had if she hadn't been attractive. When Jacob was choosing a wife, we are told that he chose the pretty one. Rachel as his beloved. But he got the not pretty one, Leah, the one with the good personality, as I remember hearing in youth group, as his first wife. And Leah's relative not beauty and the jealousy and bargaining that came from it is the cause of a huge amount of drama in the early unpacking of the people of God. It changes the way people related to one another. And beauty is a thing. It does change the way we treat each other, but it's not always clear what the thing, what is actual beauty. Like, is it an objective thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a subjective thing? Like, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I think probably it's a little bit of all of those, you know? Um, you know, we, some, people, some people just are regarded as, as beautiful by everybody. Like Esther. Esther, everybody thought she was beautiful. Comedian Mike Birbiglia tells the story of him being at college with the actor Bradley Cooper um, and says that the one thing that everybody on the whole of the Georgetown campus agreed on, with all of their things that they could be divided on, the one thing everyone agreed on was that Bradley Cooper was the most beautiful human that anyone had ever seen. 
men and women alike, everybody agreed. Some kind of objective beauty. You know, you did not think you were going to see Bradley Cooper at church this morning, did you? See, full of surprises. Okay, but some beauty is subjective. Like people we love are lovely to us. And the Song of Solomon in the Bible is a great example of this. Here is an artistic rendering of the loveliness of the beloved in the Song of Solomon with her hair that is like a flock of ghosts and her eyes which are like doves and her cheeks that are like a pomegranate and her neck like the Tower of Lebanon. Okay, (laughs) whatever. The ones we love are lovely to us. And romance and sexual chemistry have a way of kind of like turning up the volume on what it is that we find attractive, yes? But then there's the question of, of how um, culture and context affect our understanding of beauty. I mean, I've heard more than one woman lament that they were born in the long century, right? Because if, they, if I'd had my body in the 1600s, which is definitely more curves than CrossFit, like, I would have been a painting model. Um, Or let's go even further back in time, like Abraham's wife Sarah, as an example. The first thing we learn about Sarah in the book of Genesis is that she is a mature woman, as in decades past menopause. She is so old that the idea of being pregnant is laughable to her, as in she literally laughs when God says you're going to have a son because she's 80. You know, my last pregnancy was handled with all sorts of caution and white kid gloves and extra care because I was um, of advanced maternal age, being older than 35. Sarah has me beat by more than 50 years, right? But in those same passages where Sarah is so old that it's laughable that she would be pregnant, we also learn that she was so beautiful that Abraham knew that going into other countries... He was in danger of being killed because the kings of that country might try and acquire his wife. So he lies and says, she's my sister, not my wife, because she is dangerously, distractingly beautiful. Apparently, it's a thing that powerful kings try to acquire beautiful women. Sarah was the target of such a thing twice. In our modern era, where beauty is so often correlated with youthfulness, and strength, it's hard to get our heads around this. But this is what scripture says. Sarah was a breathtakingly beautiful octogenarian. Her beauty was a thing, a fact that affected Abraham and every community that they moved into and how they treated them. So the question for us is to hold um, a metaphorical mirror up to ourselves and ask this, if beauty is a thing, and people respond differently to it. How godly are those responses? Are our responses ones of kindness and justice and mercy to one another? Are we in danger of showing favoritism or unkindness like Jacob did to Rachel and Leah? Are there people we are not really seeing as people, because we're so distracted by their looks, or are there people we're overlooking entirely? That's the question for us. Because beauty is a thing. So let's take stock of how we respond to it. Here's the second question. Not only is beauty is a thing, but beauty is 
and I'm going to make my argument for this. Beauty is a resource, a resource. Like money or time or influence or power or privilege, it is one of those things that exists in our human dynamic, and it's something that people pretty much across the board want more of. We would all like to have more time, more money, be more attractive, yes? It's socially valuable. And it's something we seem to have in unequal amounts, like privilege. So beauty is one of those things that's given by a good creator, but it can be corrupted. You see, like money or power, beauty has a number of advantages. It is nice to be attractive, to look your best. It makes people treat you better. They say nice things to you and about you. Um, it makes people want to be close to them. And beauty, like money, can be socially advantageous. It can give you more attention. It can get you a quicker job interview. It can give you more opportunities. Like attractiveness is a form of social capital. That would seem to be an advantage, right? But like money or power, beauty is a resource with a downside. You can lose it. And as with all good things, it can very quickly become an idol. And instead of it being something we pursue, you know, wanting to, to look our best, it can be something that pursues us and lands up controlling and entrapping us because we, it gets a disproportionate amount of our time and energy and joy. And beauty can be a real barrier to relationships. Think of Vashti, whose only company is wanted when she can be shown off for her, her beauty. Who cares what Vashti's personality is like, right? That's an obstacle for Vashti. Or for Esther. Think about how many people really got to know Bradley Cooper as a person in Georgetown instead of just being all like, oh, whenever they saw him. Beauty has social capital, like money or power. And while it's something that many of us think we want more of, there are dangers that come with having a lot of it. Maybe you've imagined at some point in your life what it would be like to win the lottery. Anyone ever done that little imagination experiment? If I was to win the lottery, this is what I would do. And you think about all the things you would love to buy, like a mountain cabin and vacations or whatever the case may be. But then you start to think about all of the, the people who would suddenly want to be your friend and about all of the relatives who would all of a sudden remember to send you a Christmas card. And you start to think, huh, that amount of money would make me second-guess people's real intentions towards me. It becomes harder in some ways to navigate life. Or if you were really famous, say you had a million followers online. Um, on the one hand, that seems like really great, but you would never be able to just go out and get a bite to eat without someone photographing you, right? Um, it would be hard to know if people really wanted to be close to you or if they wanted the benefits of being close to you. You see the difference? In the VeggieTales version of Esther, again, deeply theologically enriching, as uh, King Xerxes gets ready to meet Esther for the first time, he says to his advisor, do you think she's going to like me? And the advisor answers, oh, you bet she will. You are the king. Everybody likes you and the penalty of death. <laughs> I mean, you see what we're saying. It's, you're not free to really like the king for who he is. You've got to like him, right? But like funny money or power, beauty is a resource, and it can be a good one. It is God who makes things beautiful, and it is God who gives us the capacity to appreciate beauty. 
it's actually a deeply human thing to find joy in beautiful things, in beautiful people. I mean, we don't see hippos gathering together just to admire the loveliness of the sunset. That we appreciate beauty is part of what reflects that we are made in God's image. But like all good things, like relationships or influence or a great career or the gift of sex or any other good thing, we are in danger of idolizing it, of idolizing youth, of idolizing a certain body type, of idolizing attractiveness. And so when it comes to beauty, how our faith teaches us to approach this is not to ignore it, because it is a thing, and not to idolize it, because that'll kill us, but to steward it, to steward it. Well, what does that mean? It means to be sober about what we've got. And you know, there's nothing like aging a little bit to make you realize just how beautiful you were. <laughs> and you didn't realize it at the time. So do yourself a gift and realize that you have beauty that you're not appreciating right now. Um, appreciate what you've got. Be careful not to be jealous or greedy about what we don't have. And we need to be wise in using what we do have. Think of it like money, right? So the Bible does not say that money is bad. In fact, it can be a sign of blessing. But we are warned that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, yes? And so if we are rich in this life, the letter to Timothy says, we are to take care not to put our hope in it, but to be generous towards others and to be grateful, right? It's a resource, but you need to steward it, not be trapped by it. And so too with being physically attractive. The Bible doesn't say that it's bad. In fact, there are places where beauty is connected to favor, like Esther, right, who received favor because of her beauty. But she stewarded that, and it gave her opportunities um, that she used in faithful and faith-filled ways. But we do need to be careful because we are warned that prizing beauty or attractiveness can be a trap for all kinds of evil. Attractiveness can obscure bad character, can be blinding. A beautiful woman with no discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout, says Proverbs. There's a visual for you. Or a couple of chapters later in Proverbs, it says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Outer beauty is a thing. It's a thing. But it's not the thing. It's a thing, but it's not the thing. And we can get distracted and derailed if we don't take stock of how quickly a good thing can become a godlike thing in our priorities. So where does this leave us, beautiful friends? The Bible doesn't give us like an appendix at the end. Wouldn't this be nice of how much it's appropriate to spend on like cute shoes or fancy shampoos or Botox or shapewear or Rogaine or whatever the case may be. But it does give us some principled outlines to think through this question of beauty. And so here are the three things that I want us to leave us with. One, the Bible speaks of beauty in God's creation and of us, you and me, as part of that beautiful creation. Beauty is a thing and you and your body are part of God's beautiful handiwork. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And just like Bruno Mars sings the lyrics, you know, when I see your face, there's not a thing that I won't change because you're amazing just the way you are. Yes, Bruno Mars saying that. But you know what? It's a cover version for what God says of you. 
There's not a thing about you he would change. You're amazing, just the way you are. The Bible says so. Just saying. Two. Yes, there's a thing, uh, such a thing as physical outer beauty, but that will always, ultimately, be outshone by beauty of character. Aging is one thing that makes that sure. Just as the glory of flowers fade, we too lose some of our shine, unless you're Sarah. Right? But for most of us, that's part of how it goes. But our inner beauty, our inner attractiveness is meant to grow with age. That grows with age. Classic beauty, Audrey Hepburn put it this way. For beautiful eyes, look for the good in others. For beautiful lips, speak only words of kindness. And for poise, walk with the knowledge that you are never alone. Isn't that true? I have seen some textbook beautiful, lovely people who are so unattractive to be around because of the lack of kindness. Second Peter kind of paraphrases Audrey. <laughs> Your beauty shouldn't ultimately come from outward adornment or pearls or cute shiny shoes, right? But from the unfading beauty of your spirit. And that's true for both men and women. You have the face you have, but how you wear your face determines how attractive you are over the years. So let your kindness shine. Wear your face nicely. Yes? There is nothing more attractive than someone smiling at you with kindness. Wear your face nicely. Another thing you didn't expect to hear in a sermon this morning. Um, Isaiah tells us one thing, only one thing, about what the Messiah to come would look like, and that is that he would have no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He was not going to be a physical looker. But yet because of what Jesus is like, who he is, how he has been towards us, how he looks upon us, we sing songs, lyrics that say, you are beautiful beyond description, to marvelous for words, to lovely for comprehension. And we mean them, right? Because that inner beauty is always going to outlast outer beauty. Finally, as we think about the beauty that is, both within and without, there's a reminder in this for us to be careful of not idolizing beauty, either for attractiveness in general. If beauty doesn't, is not a word that resonates with you, let's just talk about attractiveness. But let's not idolize it in ourselves or in one another. Because attractiveness is a good thing. It's okay to appreciate it, and it's okay to make the most of what you've got. I mean, Esther had like a year of beauty treatments before her first date. But... Let's not let it become a God-sized priority in what we think is most important about ourselves or what we think is most important in the people around us. Because that's literally the definition of idolatry, is worshipping an image more than the creator, yes? So there's a heart check for us. So this morning as we wrap up, let's thank God for beauty both in ourselves and in those around us, and let's ask God to help us put beauty in its proper place. Will you join me? God, you made a beautiful world and you made beautiful people, <clears throat> and we thank you for that. Thank you that there is loveliness all around. 
And we thank you that we have the capacity to appreciate and enjoy beautiful things. But God, as we reflect on these things this morning, we pray that you would order our disordered loves. Help us to love and see rightly. Where there are places that we have made things an idol, where we have treated others differently because we've had the wrong filter, we ask your forgiveness and we ask for your wisdom to be people of faith, beautiful people in a beautiful world, honoring Jesus in the way we steward these things. We ask these things in Jesus, the beautiful one's name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. Bronwyn, thank you. Thank you for your words for unpacking. Um, yes, I have never heard a sermon on beauty, but now I have. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, um, talking about uh, beauty as a resource. Um, please take a seat. Take a seat for a second. Um, my name is Dave Hodges. I am uh, one of the elders uh, here at FBC. I am humbled and honored to uh, serve this church in that capacity. Uh, it's just, it's truly a blessing. Um, so you know what we do at this church is we're an elder-led church, and what that means is that the elder board works in partnership with uh, our lead, our senior pastor, Steve, to guard the church and accomplish God's given purpose of faith, hope, and love. Um, as a church family, uh, we pool our giving together and our tithes and our offerings, and what we God believe is God, we believe God has called us and more and more we would discover faith, grow in love, and live out hope. For all of our offerings go toward ministering for all of our church family. And as a family, sometimes we need to talk about our finances. Um, here up on the screen is uh, where we uh, currently are. And the number in the lower right you can see is that we're about $38,000 uh, behind our budget as of right now. Just for reference... The uh, end of our fiscal year is the end of May. Uh, now, this isn't great news, but there's no reason to panic uh, because God has really blessed us. Our staff does a wonderful job of keeping spending in check. Our buildings are paid for, and we've built a savings account up uh, for times like these. Um, we are very fortunate, and we do feel God's blessing. Uh, last year, oh, someone's calling in. Um, last <laughs> It's not, it's, it's not my phone. I turned my ringer off. Um, and last, last year when we put our budget together, we left it at the, we left it at the same level as the year before. Uh, we knew that was a stretch. But we as a board and, and with, with prayer and with Steve, we, we, we believed that, that was, uh, it was worth doing. Um, so what can you, our church family, here online, those that will watch uh, this service uh, later, later this week, what can we do? We can pray. If you're not currently giving, ask God if it's time to start. If you are currently giving, ask God if it's time to give more. If you uh, are behind in your giving, ask God if it's time to catch up. And, it, and uh, if you've received uh, extra unexpected funds, ask God, ask God if, it's, if it, this should be shared. Uh, 
we are grateful. And we really are truly grateful for all those that contribute. It doesn't matter the amount. We are truly blessed in this church. Um, also, um, much of what we do in the elder board... Um, much of what we do in the elder board uh, might be a little bit of a mystery to you, uh, especially when it comes to things like how we handle finances, uh, staff, and things like that. So, uh, fellow elder Scott Richardson and I will be at a high table in the courtyard after the service to answer uh, to answer any questions you have. Don't feel comfortable in asking a question in person, or you think of something later. Uh, all. The email addresses for the Elder Board are on our web, website, fbcdavis.org. Uh, and again, thank you for your faithfulness and your love of our church and God and our staff. Would you please uh, stand with me and receive this benediction? From Ephesians uh, 3, 2021. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and all God's people said amen you guys have a great rest of your day and a great rest of the week don't forget to bring Scott and I your questions and don't forget to pick up your children and thank their teachers thank you guys <laughs>